0: Good morning. Welcome back to the program. Yesterday, amid the violence and upheaval in the Ukraine, a debate broke out on one of the Sunday morning talk shows about the relevance of Cold War strategy, whether it still should pertain to viewing Russian actions in geopolitics. It would be interesting to know what George Kennan might think about it. He was, after all, the architect of America's Cold War policy of containment and perhaps our greatest political and diplomatic strategist with respect to Russia and the former Soviet Empire. He also won two National Book Awards, two Pulitzer Prizes, shaped the Marshall Plan to rebuild Europe, helped with the rebuilding of Japan, and set the stage for America's China policy after the war. He was both a man of letters and a man of action. But his views on domestic politics and on modernity were far less prescient. In short, he was a complex man, the likes of which we seldom see in public life today. He also kept a diary for almost 90 of his 101 years. My guest, University of Connecticut Professor Frank Castigliola, has edited these diaries in the Kennan Diaries, just published from W.W. W. Norton, and it is my pleasure to welcome Frank Castigliola to the program today. Frank, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: Great to have you here. First of all, I want to talk a little bit about Kennan's youth. I mean, he visited Germany for the first time when he was eight years old. His his right. father really had had a pretty strong world view. Talk a little bit about how how he emerged as a young man.
1: Well, he grew up in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where of course there is a strong German presence, although his family itself was, was not German. His father was the person actually who was an international he was a lawyer, a, a tax lawyer who studied the income tax when that was a new form of taxation. And his father, um, Kent Kennan, went to Germany, spent time in Germany to learn about the German mode of collecting income taxes and came back and advised the state of Wisconsin um, in terms of instituting its its income tax. I guess Scott Walker would not be a fan of uh, (laughs) Kent Kent Kassett. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And talk a little bit about how that early experience really began to shape Kennan's views of the world. I mean, well, the thing that's remarkable is he started keeping these diaries when he was 11 years old.
1: Right, right. Well, he was always, I think, a very a person who believed he was acting in time and, and, you know, that he was acting in a certain historical era. And from an early age, really started thinking that he was going to influence history. So he's very much aware of himself self-conscious about what he was doing. And he tried to keep a record of that. And of course, also keeping a diary was, was a, a common, uh, much more common, I think than it is today. And and uh, many of his, his father kept a diary for a while and other relatives. So it was not such an unusual kind of a thing, but he always had a cosmopolitan view of, um, of life. And um, so, as I said, he went to, he spent a year in Germany, went to school in Germany uh, when he was eight years old. And, um, and then went on to join the Foreign Service after he graduated from Princeton in 1925.
0: This idea that he always thought he was going to play some role in shaping the world, talk about that and whether or not it carried, in addition to the, to this cosmopolitan view, whether it carried a certain arrogance along with it. Oh, I think so. I think you know, Kennan
1: was enormously intelligent. I mean, he picked up German... Very, you know, he spoke German as as a native. He later did the same thing with Russian, uh, where he could meld into a, a Russian crowd and speak and speak Russian as as if he were a, a native. He did the same thing with Norwegian. Uh, he had very good French. Uh, you know, he, he was a person who um, read philosophy and history and literature in different languages. Uh, and wrote. Some of the di- diary selections are written in German, others are written in Russian. So he was a person who was enormously intelligent. You he, he talked about arrogance. Um, I think he was aware that he was smarter than most people. And I think he also believed, and perhaps wasn't always right in this, but he believed that he had insights that were more discerning, deeper than other people. So he believed that he was, he was gifted in ways that most of his contemporaries were not, and that uh, he had insights that were really valuable. And, and I think one thing about Ken is, as I, as I write in the, in the introduction to the diaries, this was a person of enormous accomplishments, but his aspirations were even greater. And it's that gap between his accomplishments and his aspirations, I think, that led to the, to the kind of inner turmoil, or one of the reasons that led to the inner turmoil that really characterized in his life.
0: Talk about his curiosity about and his increasing understanding of Russia and the Soviet Empire.
1: Right. Well one thing I should have also mentioned in terms of his cosmopolitan his cosmopolitan perspective is that uh, a cousin of his grandfather was also named George Kennan, and this George Kennan who lived in the late nineteenth, early twentieth centuries, this George Kennan was probably one of America's most uh, Noted experts on Russia, on Tsarist Russia, and this George Kennan, the older George Kennan, had traveled extensively through Russia and Siberia and wrote books about this and lectured on this, and so he was kind of a role model for the younger George Kennan. Um, so your question was about his his interest in Russia, right? So mm-hmm. this is one of the, the groundings for that. When when Kennan went into the foreign service, there was uh, the State Department offered special training for people who wanted to train in in uh, languages where you needed where we needed more expertise more people trained so uh, Kennedy picked Russian because of this this background and this tie with this other other George Kennedy. Um he went to uh, this of course he entered the foreign service in nineteen twenty six and this is uh, this is years before it wasn't until nineteen thirty three that the us government recognized the Soviet government in Moscow. We refused to recognize that government after the 1917 revolution. So Kennan, in learning Russian language, uh, was sent to Berlin, where there was a, uh, a uh, special kind of school for learning the Russian language and Russian literature. And here he really immersed himself in in learning the language and literature. He also befriended uh, Russian emigres. He lived with a family of Russian uh, uh, emigres, people who had fled the revolution, uh, who were living in Berlin. So he really, he became, uh, the, and the goal of the State Department was to educate American diplomats so that they were educated as if they had been a pre-1917 member of the Russian gentry, kind of the upper mm-hmm. middle classes, people who uh, people were educated in literature and history and so forth. And Kennedy absorbed this like a sponge.
0: Talk a little bit about the long telegram and the emergence of that.
1: Right. Well, that's the thing for which Kennan is most widely known. And in some respects, I think that's that's in a way an albat- that became kind of an albatross around his neck. Um, and okay, the long telegram. That's the the famous telegram. It's over five thousand words, the longest telegram ever sent to the State Department uh, from from an ambassador or diplomat around the world, um, in which Kennan basically outlined the strategy of what became known as containment. That uh, uh, Kennan basically said there is that the United States did not have to go to war with, with Russia, and yet also did not have to accept Russian expansion, rather through a policy of containment, a kind of middle ground of containment, uh, the United States could literally contain, put a wall around uh, the Soviet Union and prevent the Soviet Union from expanding further. Uh, And the wall would consist, Kennan believed that the wall should consist of of basically political pressures and building up the countries around Russia so as to prevent further Russian expansion. Of course, Russia had expanded its influence uh, during and after World War II when its armies occupied uh, Poland, Romania, Hungary, and the other countries of what became the Soviet bloc. So the the promise of of the long telegram was that war was not necessary and simply accepting, uh, passively accepting Russian expansion was not necessary. Containment was a happy middle way.
0: He saw that as a political option, not necessarily a military one. And in fact, he was not happy with the way military buildup had become part of that strategy.
1: Precisely, precisely. And Kennan became frustrated. I mean, the the long telegram was in 1946. He lived another 55 years, um, and was frustrated with the militarization of, a, of the containment policy. But I think it's also important that, in terms of understanding what happened here, to realize that Kennan himself was, although he never acknowledged this, he was himself in part responsible for the militarization of the containment policy because Kennan, in order to get attention, for his ideas in this long telegram presented presented the Soviet threat in such stark terms as such an existential threat that, of course I think of course American leaders just coming out of having waged and won a total military war, American leaders saw that threat as needing to be needing to be met through military as well as political measures so I think Kennedy in' way is responsible for the militarization of the containment policy that he deplored later on in his and, life.
0: And in fact, he amped up the message after the long telegram with the famous article he wrote for Foreign Affairs under uh, right. the byline of right. Mr. X. Talk about that.
1: Mr. X, right, right, right. Well, the, the kind of the Mr. X article, there are differences between the long telegram and the Mr. X article. But basically, the bottom line is the long telegram was a telegram sent to... The State Department, you know, in Washington, and then it was disseminated throughout the U.S. government. Whereas the Mister X article was in Foreign Affairs, the prestigious journal of Foreign Affairs, was the functional equivalent to the educated public. And then, and then parts of it were excerpted in Reader's Digest and so forth. And so, the containment doctrine and the containment idea was dispersed throughout the the American, uh, throughout the American population.
0: And further to your point about amping up the rhetoric, the Foreign Affairs article was even stronger in talking about the Soviet threat, even more so than the long telegram.
1: Right. And then the irony here, the irony here is that Kennan famously, in the Mr. X article, referred to the Soviet government as like a toy automobile that's wound up and just, you know, it's wound up and it goes in a certain direction. And the only way to stop it is through you know, a barrier, and then it'll try to go in another direction, and then you stop it that way. So there was no talking, no compromise possible, no talking, no negotiating possible with an inanimate object, a toy automobile. Whereas Kennan, and th- that image got a lot of attention, It's was a very powerful image, but Kennan himself believed that we should negotiate with the Russians. As early as 1948, he was saying, well, you know, containment is is working, maybe we should come to some kind of compromise, some kind of, uh, have some kind of ne- serious negotiation with the Russians. The, the point here is that in order to get the attention of first the government in the long telegram, and then the public in the Mr. Mr. X article, Kennan, who is also highly ambitious, highly ambitious person, Kennan exaggerated the dangers and made, presented things in such stark terms that it went beyond what he himself over in a more measured kind of a way would advocate
0: talk a little bit about how that played out, how he saw it play out in the continual amping up from a military perspective of the Cold War.
1: Well, this continually frustrated him. Um, he, you know, there, this step after step uh, when he was in government and then later when he was out of government, when, let's say, the decision to build a hydrogen bomb. Um, in 1949, Russia exploded its first atomic bomb and that engendered a Deep, you know, kind of anxious discussion within the U.S. government. Should the U.S. then seek to build the hydrogen bomb, much more powerful, um, to stay ahead of the Russian Russians in the arms race? Kennan thought that was a mistake. Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb, thought that was a mistake. Uh, but their counsel was overridden by other people who said, "Look, if we build this bomb, we'll stay ahead of the Russians," and you know, basically accept the fact of a nuclear arms race with the idea that the United States would, would stay ahead. Kennan thought that was a mistake. Um, another example of this is uh, during the, the Korean War. Kennan was part of the planning within the Truman administration, that, uh, which the Truman administration decided in, in June 1950 to respond to the North Korean invasion of South Korea by sending in American troops. Kennan was part of that uh, planning, but then Kennan thought that the U.S. troops should go no further than the thirty-eighth parallel, no further than restoring South Korea, South Korea's territorial integrity. So, but Kennan was overruled when Atchison and Truman and others decided to press, and MacArthur decided to press North into North Korea. So, I think that's an example of Kennan you know, being serious and and being a cold warrior in the sense of wanting to uphold American. Uh, Rights and American uh, position vis-a-vis the Soviet Union, but also being careful and not wanting to push things too far. In this case, going into North Korea, which of course led to the, the, the disastrous Chinese intervention and in the and American great number of American casualties.
0: Talk a little bit about his views about China, because they were he was very instrumental in America's post-war China policy.
1: Well, he thought that you know, Kennan is wonderful in many ways, but he also was I think you could use the term "racist" is, is not not too strong, but of course, he's also somebody from the early 20th century when there were the prevailing racism in, in, in the United States, and he thought that the Chinese basically would never really amount to a lot as, as a country, and therefore it was not the United States should not get too involved in the Chinese Civil War, which went on from 1945 in 1849, that the United States should not get too involved and, and should limit its its uh, commitment to China because, first of all, there was not very much we could do. China was such a huge country. And secondly, even if China went communist, uh, Kennan did not think that would be such a disaster because he, he believed the Chinese would not amount to it. He, he did not foresee China becoming the powerful nation that it is today.
0: That is one of the interesting things about Kennan, that, that while he was prescient with respect to containment and the Soviet Union at a particular moment in time, his views on a whole host of other subjects, including domestic policy, racial policy, modernity, all seemed to be out of step with a particular time. They, I mean, there really seems to be this one idea that, that he got exactly right, and not as many others. Well, yeah, but I think also
1: we have to understand. Okay, so Kennan, the policymaker, got the containment idea right, um, even though he exaggerated the threat as it, for reasons with the repercussions I, I mentioned earlier. But I think we, there's another kind of Kennan, in some respects, is even more fascinating, and that's Kennan the intellectual. You know, as someone once said, intellectuals are people who think otherwise. Kennan had this kind of. I think part of the fascination about Kennan. And, and the interest that Kenneth can bring is that he's a guy who, who was not really of the 20th century. He kind of brings a 19th, even 18th century perspective on the dilemmas and, and on the developments of the 20th century. So, you know, he looks askance at things like the development of the automobile, uh, which he saw let's, the development of the automobile at the expense of extensive commuter rail, because it, he pointed out, you know, in a way, this is crazy, in a way it makes sense. If you have a society organized on the basis of people on the automobile, where everyone goes, drives to their own home and so forth, people are going to be all spread out. Whereas if you, you know, had more intensive development, as there was earlier in the 20th century, of commuter rail and long-term rail traffic, um, people tend to be clustered around the, the, rail, the rail station and, and he was a person who believed very highly in, in community. So that's an example of here's a, an oddball guy who regarded automobiles as as, as um, deplorable, but also there's, he had, he, there's a, there was a kind of kernel of of, of wisdom, a, a interesting perspective that he had another he had a very small thing, but I think it, it's indicative of his longing for community. Uh, the kind of community that did exist earlier in America, is that in, in Princeton, New Jersey, in the 1950s when they introduced a uh, dial telephone, this is before push button, you know, dial telephone uh, to replace the, the situation before you had, where you had to call the operator to place the call for you. Well, that was the removal of another link, with, even a little superficial link, with a person at home calling the operator, the operator calling the other person, placing the call, that kind of Human linkage is something that Kenan, uh, the decline of that human linkage is something that Kenan uh, was sorry about, and I think it's you know again it's it's a pre 20th century perspective that he brought to a lot of the situations of the 20th and 21st century. So he's yeah he's an odd he's an odd he has an odd view, but I think it's also an insightful view because it's from the outside.
0: Was it an insightful view? Because in many ways he was looking at the world and really not understanding the forces of history, the forces that were shaping it.
1: Right. I think that's true. That's true. But and that's true. Um, and you know, certainly a lot of his views are, are deplorable. I mean, the racism is deplorable. The homophobia is is deplorable. But it's um, he, he's also he um, he's a person who is not willing to simply accept the. Ongoing rush of modernity, um, and you know we may think well that's th- that modern life is is the best of all possible worlds, but for many of us who think that that's not the case that you know there are costs the costs that come with the the advantages that we have in, in the modern age, someone like Kenan was somebody who could remind us uh, that the uh, even though we could we can't stop the rush of change, we should be aware of, of the things we're losing uh, in the in the process of gaining advantage, or simply the, the things we're losing in the process of change.
0: Talk a little bit about his relationship with others in Washington, Dean Acheson, John Foster Dulles, and most notably Truman.
1: Well, I think he didn't have a lot of contact with Truman, per se. He had a lot of contact with George Marshall, who's uh, Secretary of State uh, from 1940 19- 47 to 49. Marshall also been the uh, basically the U.S. military chief of staff in World War II. Marshall was the man, George C. Marshall was the man, probably the most, had the most prestigious reputation of anyone, anyone in U.S. government from, let's say, 1945 to 1950, 55. Uh, and Kennan was very close with Marshall. Uh, Marshall set up the policy planning staff uh, with Kennan as the director, which was basically set up to do long-term planning in the State Department, um, and so again he was close with Marshall and helped Marshall. He was Cannon was a lot of the a lot of the brains behind the Marshall Plan to rebuild Western Europe with with economic aid. Kennan um, was was very important in that. He was also uh, he was close for a while with Dean Acheson. Acheson was Secretary of State from 1949 to 53, and he'd been Under Secretary of State before that. Um, Acheson, I think was close with Kennan, but then they grew distant as Acheson moved toward steps at militarizing American response to the cold war, particularly after 49, um, the setup of NATO, which Kennan thought went too far. So th- Kennan began to, to diverge. Kennan and Acheson diverged in their views. And I think it's also that the fact that, uh, Marshall, as a military man, liked having an extensive uh, staff, a planning staff, and Kennan was his foreign policy planner. Whereas Atchison had a different model for the State Department and didn't really wasn't really interested in Kennan's long-term plans as Marshall had been. So they grew more distant. Um, and another person that Kennan had a very bad relationship with was John Foster Dulles. Uh, when Dulles became Secretary of State. Uh, in 1953 under Eisenhower, he basically fired Kennan from the State Department and um, and and did so in a very painful way. Uh, when when Dulles became Secretary of State, he de- did not appoint Kennan to any position and did not tell him that he was not appointing Kennan to any position. And so Kennan was left uh, kind of hanging in the wind for four or five months, feeling very humiliated, until finally Dulles told him that uh, there was no niche for him, as he put it, no niche for him. In, in the State Department, so that that was very humiliating, and Kennan resented that for the rest of his life.
0: He did live long enough to see the collapse of the Soviet Union. Talk a right, little bit he about that, did. yeah, yeah.
1: Kennan, um, one of the things he said in in the Mister X article and in the uh, Mister X article of nineteen forty seven is that if the U.S. kept to a policy of containment, eventually, eventually, that would lead to what he said was the, the mellowing or the breakup. Of Soviet power, and that indeed happened in the late '80s, and, and of course the Soviet Union finally collapsing in 1991. Kennan was not thrilled. I mean, one of the first things that I first looked at the Kennan diary. I looked quickly to see December 25th, 26th, 1991, the fall of the Soviet Union. I mean, this would be you think would be a very momentous kind of comment and so forth. And Kennan was not thrilled by this. He was uh, by this, you know, an aspect of Kennan that we really haven't talked about is his love for the Russian people and his concern for Russia, uh, which was very, very strong. And he was concerned that when the Soviet Union broke up in na- 1991, he was concerned that uh, it would devolve into chaos and that. Uh, the Russian, you know, really the Russian empire, this mix of ethnicities, Chechens and many others uh, within Russia uh, or within Soviet Union. I mean, the, he would foresaw kind of the problem we have now with, with Ukraine. Uh, Kennan thought that all this this, uh, the breakup of the Soviet Union might lead to chaos and war and, uh, un, and misery for the people whom he cared a lot about, na- namely the Russians. So, um, uh, by the time the Soviet Union broke up, Kennan was, was not thrilled by, by that outcome. He also thought Gorbachev, Gorbachev, the last leader of the Soviet Union, was a real uh, person with a real humanitarian kind of perspective. And I think Kennan very much liked the idea of perestroika and glasnost. So a reformed Soviet Union, I think, in Kennan's mind, was more desirable than the breakup of, of the Soviet empire into the constituent republics.
0: Talk about what he thought of Reagan.
1: He he. Well, I don't want to say in a public show what he thought of Reagan. <laughs> um, he he despised Reagan. I think uh, he regarded Ken, Reagan as an intellectual lightweight. He uh, regarded uh, Reagan's affable, uh, you know, good-natured kind of kind of presentation as as disingenuous. And I have to say, even though your audience, a lot of your audience is in California, Kenan despised California. Uh, a lot of the diary entries are, are written on well, he's flying to California to visit his daughter or to do research at Stanford, a St- Stanford Institution. And he regarded California as embodying the worst aspects of American society. And so Reagan, as the product of California, even though he'd not been born there, uh, the the governor and so forth, it all rubbed Kennan the wrong way.
0: Talk a little bit about how, what he thought, and how he, where he fit in in the Red Scare of the 50s and within the context of McCarthyism. Right. Kennan, Kennan
1: deplored McCarthyism. I mean, it was the kind of mindless exaggeration of communist threat, uh, the kind of attack on intellectuals that, that, that McCarthy really embodied. Um, Kennan was an elitist in many ways, and McCarthy. Part of McCarthy's appeal was that it was kind of like an fu to uh, the the New Deal liberal, New Deal liberal intellectuals, Uh, and so a lot of the things that McCarthy stood for on an emotional, cultural level really rubbed Kennan the wrong way. And on the political level, uh, Kennan despised the uh, despised McCarthy for a number of reasons. One, because McCarthy. Advocated no compromise at all with the Soviet Union, hard line in every way, which is what Kennan did not agree with. And um, also, Kennan believed that foreign policy, foreign policy, should be made by elite diplomats such as himself, not, and foreign policy should not be influenced by Congress and certainly not by people like Joe McCarthy in Congress who, who attempted to shape what the U.S. was doing uh, inside the country and and in foreign affairs. So there are many, many reasons for um, Kennan to despise McCarthy. Also, the fact that McCarthy came, as did Kennan from Wisconsin. I think Kennan felt that, and he said this explicitly, that his native state had betrayed the things that he believed in, and he felt, you know, that McCarthy was kind of too close for comfort in terms of coming from the state where he was born, and McCarthy's rise illustrated how much Wisconsin had changed since Kennan was a boy.
0: To what extent did Kennan's views the the racism, the the railing against modernity, all the things we've touched upon, to what extent has that impacted his legacy, do you think, even with respect to being known for, for containment?
1: Well, I think, you know, the more people focus just on containment, the less they look at these other things. It's gonna be interesting now, I'd say, now in the next five, ten years. To see how now the scholars have John Gaddis's biography, uh, they have the diaries, uh, the Kennan papers are now open for research by other scholars. They're at Mud Library at Princeton University. It's going to be interesting to see what the overall picture of Kennan is. Although I suspect that scholars will disagree about Kennan, as they tend to tr- disagree about about most things. I think um, as I, I, I overall do admire Kennan. I, I see him as 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 a man of the early 20th century who brings that, as I said earlier, kind of peculiar, peculiar in several senses that I would, peculiar perspective on society of the late 20th century. Um, But again, he he, he sees things that a lot of us might see, but not, not articulate. And um, although we can certainly, and should deplore the misogyny, the homophobia, uh, the other narrow viewpoints uh, that he had, he also, had, uh, I think, some good insights into some of the costs of modernity as well as as, as, we tend to just see the benefits and not look at the costs.
0: Frank Castigliola, he's the editor of the Kennan Diaries, just out from W.W. Norton. Frank, I thank you so much for spending time with us today.
1: Well, thank you. It's been a real pleasure.
0: Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back.